The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Bring in show music, please. Hi there, I'm CNBC producer Cameron Costa. Today, it's a jam-packed episode of Squawk Pod. Streaming wars are heating up, and some players can't take the heat, like Netflix or the soon-to-be-defunct CNN+. Axios reporter Sarah Fisher. They laid off CNN's CFO, they cut marketing spend, the writing was on the wall, but ultimately, these two companies just had a very different take on what this asset should be and honestly whether or not it would even work long term. And Disney's streaming is just fine, but it's politics getting them into trouble in Florida. Is it wrong to say there's culture wars? Nope. I think a culture war is upon us. Political strategist Frank Luntz says the feud is bigger than the Magic Kingdom. It's a tragedy. This never should have happened. Corporations should not be involved in politics, according to the American people. Plus, what's a day on Wall Street without Elon Musk? Or Twitter, for that matter. I think I only have one person, one hater, and I think they've got thousands of accounts. Do you think that Elon's going to change that? There might be more than one. It's Friday, April 22nd, 2022, and Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand under by in three, two, one, you Andrew. Good morning and welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Joe Kernan. Becky's off today. Let's show you on this Friday morning uh, after what's been a wild week. I mean, we got so much to talk about, Joe, this morning. We should talk about Disney, Disney World because yeah. it's a story that we've been talking about for the past week. And this is what happened in Florida just yesterday uh, after approval by state lawmakers, Florida's governor, Ron DeSantis, expect to sign a bill that would end Disney World's special self-governing status in the Sunshine State. The proposal was introduced just this past Tuesday. It's a reaction, an apparent reaction, but actually I think it was pretty much told to us. It was a reaction to Disney's criticism of Florida's so-called uh, don't say gay law. And I know there's different views of what that law says, uh, but uh, which limits early schooling on sexual orientation and gender identity. The bill would dissolve a special Disney district that Disney had occupied since the 1960s. That arrangement allowed the company to build theme parks, experiences, hotels, and other attractions with little to no oversight and spares local taxpayers' maintenance bills. However, CNBC has reported getting rid of the district would stick local counties with Disney's debt, and that could lead to higher taxes, close to a billion dollars in in debt, perhaps, though we had a, a... uh, a state uh, official on yesterday who, who claimed that that was not going to be the case. How do you deal with the issue of the cost to taxpayers? This district in particular has $1 to $1.7 billion in debt that then would get transferred to local governments, which would amount to uh, about $1,000 per, $1, per taxpayer. Who pays that? How can you make the case that Floridians should, should foot that bill? It's a great question. It's also not true. The Reedy Creek it's Improvement District... No, the Reedy Creek Improvement District is a local government right now. So the taxpayers of that district already owe that money. Yes, it would go to other municipal governments in the same place. But the other thing is the revenues go along with it. If you're a business executive thinking about moving to Florida today, 
Is, do you have any different view than you had yesterday about what about what the implications are in a state like Florida um, around? I, I don't understand or taxes. Why, or I don't understand why. Or, the only thing I don't understand is why a the end of a tax break for a big company. I don't. It seems like that would lessen the amount of taxes that the taxpayers of the the state would have to pay. You know what I mean? If if you're getting if Disney lo, no longer is able to avoid what other corporations need to pay, why does that result in higher? Well, no. There's uh, two issues. One is a, a a debt issue, which is that there's about a billion dollars of debt sitting in that area that then gets transferred over right. to those municipalities, my understanding. However, you're right. Disney ultimately, on a longer-term basis, will pay more in taxes. Invariably, and we can talk about this with our guests, that may pay for some of that debt in terms of, in terms of debt service. So, but, but to me, the bigger question is, Florida has always been this place that has marketed itself quite successfully as open for business, as business-friendly, and, and I don't know if apolitical, but sort of a political on everything, right? That was the whole goal. We, we don't deal with politics. They made a deal for the, on a sort of business case basis in the 1960s to have Disney come. And I just wonder whether it changes any perception. In the same way, by the way, that I had a view that it was a terrible mistake in New York uh, when there was right. an offer on the table for Amazon to come here and uh, there was a, ta a tax benefit being offered to them. And then not only was the offer uh, rescinded uh, which I thought was a mistake, but the way it was rescinded to me spelled, not, I don't want to say doom, but I think it send, sent a message to businesses around the country that are thinking of coming to New York that actually the politics in New York are complicated and may not be uh, where you want to be, at least not in Long Island City. Right. And there I wonder whether, this, whether that, that message is sent to other there will businesses. There will be more, be more elections. Like the, the people of Florida will be able to, to decide whether they like what's happening, uh, obviously. I don't know what that's at the end. If you remember in, in Georgia, politicians, um, or not politicians, but, but corporations made certain decisions based on some legislation there, too. So more and more, they're delving into. Uh, what heretofore would not have been necessarily something that, that they would do, that they've got pressure from employees and customers. And uh, it's a, there is a, there, is, it all, is it wrong to say there's culture wars? Andrew, we're involved in a culture war. Nope. And it's, it's I think a, a culture war is upon us. It's, a, it's upon us, it's, and both sides are, are dug in. Both sides are dug in, and yep. uh, it's not the first time. Obviously, it's painful, right. uh, but sometimes it, you know, it's something that, that has to happen, and, and I don't know, you hope that something eventually good comes out of it. Um, hope it doesn't take something like, you remember back in, in early, earlier this, uh, this century, and remember we all came together for like a millisecond after September 11th, but I, I, hate, I don't want things like that to, uh, to do, but we are very divided right now. But I don't know what brings. I don't know what brings are. us. I don't know what brings us together. Well, we'll we'll hug it out ourselves, Joe. In the meantime, joining us right now with Disney's options, Frank Luntz, pollster and political strategist. Frank, what do you make of this? What does it say about where we are as a country? But what does it say about the state of Florida as a place for business? Well, it says that we are poisonous and toxic, and the fact that a governor who arguably has one of the most successful records in America in terms of economic development, in terms of business, 
is arguing with arguably one of the most popular, respected companies on the face of the earth. It is, it's a tragedy. And it's a tragedy over language, and it's a tragedy over strategy. If this is a debate over whether first graders should be taught uh, sexual identity or sexual development, the public overwhelmingly says no. But if it's a fight over the phrase, don't say gay, nobody wants discrimination or punishment. And this is why framing matters so much. The language that the business community and the political community uses determines the outcome of the debate. This never should have happened. Uh, corporations should not be involved in politics, according to the American people. Individuals not only have every right to speak up, but they should. And it's the responsibility of businesses to help them, to give them a voice, give them a platform. But the public says it is not a responsibility for the corporation itself to speak up and speak out. So, so Frank, who wins this debate? And how much of this debate is, is about this bill versus, and there are some people in the country look at this as a debate actually over free speech, which is to say not just free speech of individuals, but free speech of companies. Uh, it's a debate over everything that's wrong. It's a debate right at the, that's a great question because it goes to the conflict that's happening in America today. The idea that we're not trying to win a, a discussion, we're not trying to promote policy, we're trying to destroy the other side. Ron DeSantis is one of the best politicians and he knows how to do this well. Disney has a voice and, and people listen to what Disney says. The problem is that these two sides have come at each other so directly and there is no winner in this. Anything that undercuts a company that does so much good for so many people in so many ways isn't healthy for American for the American economy. Here's the thing that I don't think anyone knows what to do about it. And there's so many business leaders, and by the way, political leaders who are watching this broadcast right now, and you get into a situation like Bob Chapak did, where you have a company that does a lot of business in a state, it's get it's hearing from its employees in that state, but also in other parts of the country, given that they're a, a, effectively a multinational business, and they're thinking, we got to go to bat for our employees. And if we don't go to bat for our employees, then we're going to have an even bigger problem insofar as they're going to strike or they're going to protest internally. How do you think that a business leader is supposed to grapple with that if, in fact, the polls that you're looking at right now are suggesting that the American public doesn't want businesses to be talking about these issues? No, they don't. They want businesses to defend their people. They want businesses to provide benefits and to recognize that things have changed over the last two years. They expect businesses to make meaningful, measurable advances for the people who work for them, but they don't expect businesses as a company. And by the way, we had this fight with Mitt Romney in 2012 when he said corporations are people too. The same people who condemned him saying that, no, this is an entity, this is not a person, are the same people who are arguing that a company like Disney should be directly involved in this. I think Bob Chapek has an impossible uh, tightrope to walk and he's been doing it as well as any CEO that I have seen. And he's been able to do it up to this point by giving voice to the public, but now you're running against politics. And when politics gets involved in some, I, I know you're gonna jump in, but when politics gets involved in this, and this is a presidential campaign, it's a whole new game. 
So we saw, we, we, Andrew actually, and I think actually you framed it. It's, there's people that say it's a, a parental rights bill and, and like no one, it's very hard to disagree that parents don't want to have a say in what their young children uh, are, are, you know, are learning or, or what's being discussed. Because we saw in Virginia that was a pretty potent issue. It was on a different subject, but we see how potent and how much that resonates. And then on, on the other side, you've got, uh, you know, the, the point, you know, if you call it a don't, don't say Gabriel, no one wants discrimination, as you said. So what would you have suggested Disney had done? Uh, not, not even weighed in? At, uh, so w was Florida allowed to, uh, to ad address that issue? A and because it's, it's a Republican, I think, legislature, Republican governor, for whatever reason, uh, you know, th that's a law that they thought they needed to pass. Should Disney not have come to the, uh, the defense of, of its LGBTQ workforce? Or w what should Disney have done? Not weighed in at all? It's, it's the two V's and two T's. The people must have a voice and they must have a vote. And Disney should, which it did, that Disney did promote that. And then there's also the two T's, time and treasure which is as a company, Disney can say, we're going to give you the time and we're going to support you financially to let you know that we're on your side. But when you start to turn off the people, the consumers, when you start to lose subscribers, when you start to, as a company, an entity, and you start to lose the people who are there for your business, that is a step too far. It, the, the danger in all of this is that we have a political system right now and such poisonous toxicity that you can't even have a discussion like this. This is an important social issue. This is an important cultural issue and every voice must be heard. But as a corporation, there is a point where it should not address that it as a company should not, should not give voice, but you got to give voice to those people and everyone who is protesting and marching, they, they not only do they deserve that right, but that right should be protected. Every consumer, who does not want this taught to their children. They have the right to be heard. And the problem is we all want a winner and a loser. We all want someone to look awesome and someone to look terrible. And that's where our system is so broken. And the business community, I urge you, because there are CEOs watching right now, don't get in the middle of this fight because you cannot win. And for every politician who does this, you're making your state, your community, your people weaker, and you're adding to this ugliness that we have to stop. Frank Luntz, uh, always a fascinating perspective. We appreciate you bringing it to us this morning. Getting some uh, new details on Elon Musk's drive to take control of Twitter. This is from the New York Post that says Musk is speaking with buyout firm Toma Bravo about teaming up on a possible bid. Uh, two sources tell the paper that Musk doesn't want to pay for Twitter by himself. They say Toma Bravo likely wouldn't move forward unless it worked with Musk. In an updated securities filing yesterday, Musk said he's now exploring a tender offer for Twitter, given that he hasn't heard back from the company on his original bid. Filing says Musk has commitments for more than $46 billion uh, to help finance a deal from Morgan Stanley's uh, senior funding unit and other firms. Yesterday, Musk gave some, uh, some more color on his designs for Twitter, posting, if our Twitter bid succeeds, we will defeat the spam bots or die trying and authenticate all real humans. And I guess they don't mean figuratively. He's going to do that, Joe. I don't, I don't do know if they I've, mean figuratively. 
No, I've wanted this forever. I've always thought that if you could just create a social media company that actually where every person is actually authenticated. You have one account, they know you're an actual human being. But nobody's ever wanted to do that because the idea of onboarding them is so complicated and costly. Yeah, I think I only have one person, really, one hater. And I think they've got thousands of accounts. You know what I mean? Because they all say that. They I say do. This, <laughs> he, he or she always says the same thing. Always says the same thing over and over and over. And then it, I block them, and they come back under a different pseudonym. You so think what are you going to do possible? about that? You, do you think that Elon's going to change there might that? Be more, there might be more than one. Uh, the, so he, will this work with poison pill intact and everything? If he makes a tender and people tender their shares, can it just happen and, and the board has nothing to say about it? Sure. To do? Sure, if he actually decides to do it. I mean, it'll be very interesting. Do you think the board will turn them down? Is the board going to try to find a white knight? I mean, I do think he's putting them in a box, but I don't know, I don't know the end result. And I also wonder whether he's going to have to team up with somebody else, even though I know he says he's got the equity, whether he really wants to put 20 plus billion dollars of his own money into this. We are going to, uh, I was going to talk about CNN. Is it us? Are we fixated on things because we're in the same business, do you think? Um, I, I don't know. Does the rest of the, I think it's an interesting story. Coming up, I think we're they gonna... do. I mean, I, is, if Twitter's an indication of, of what yep. people t are talking about, but maybe it's not because it's a hellscape. Yep. This might be a good time to remind you to follow our Squawk team on the hellscape of Twitter. You can find Joe at Joe Squawk and Andrew at Andrew R. Sorkin. Show clips, news, and programming details are at Squawk CNBC. Now, up next on your podcast queue, Streaming Wars Battle Scars, the rise and fall of CNN Plus with Axios media reporter Sarah Fisher. There's $3 billion in synergies that they need to come up with, and so you can expect cuts across the board at Warner Media. I think in the near term, it's actually going to be on the back end, so sales and marketing, etc. I don't think he's going to go in and try to tear the newsroom apart. That and some shows to look out for right after this on Squawk Pod. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs. And the small dogs, who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod Today with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Here's Andrew. Did you remember when we would have conversations and interviews, and I remember talking to Reed Hastings, and we, we would talk to all of these guys in media, and we'd say, and the, invariably we'd come up with the question, how many of these streaming services or apps will people buy? Because that, really that's something. the question you would always ask. What, 
and they it, would it, act, they would act as if a the question was illogical and b <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and it cord would just cutting, go on forever. And cord cutting for, you know, a cable package with 500 channels that costs like 30 a month. Oh, no. People aren't going to keep spending 30 a month for 500 channels because they don't want some right. of those channels. But the idea you're going to spend 70 a month for five services, it, right. it, why doesn't that, why isn't that uh, subject to the same economics? I guess I'm sort of talking the cable, but I've always loved cable. I love cable. I love cable. It's hard for me to, you know, it's hard the for me to move. The bundle, we've talked about it. It's actually the, a I good deal. I love the bundle. Without, I love my bundle. Get out your salt shaker, I know, because everyone's probably saying, oh, take it with a grain of salt. But, yeah, yeah, it's, a, it's actually it's a good deal for the consumer, I would argue, and oftentimes has been obviously one of the great business models of all time for a lot of the businesses that have operated them. Right. Comcast is a, it's just, you know, the parent company. Much less affected by, by even Disney or Discovery or any of the, the companies the companies that seem more dependent on the success of streaming. We have a lot. I mean, we have a whole you know a lot of its broadband and business and uh, but we do I think depend. Peacock's important, but it's not like Disney Plus to Comcast. So right. I, it's, it's it's amazing that old what's old is new and that the demise of of the cable bundle might have been. I greatly exaggerate. We'll still move that way, I guess. We'll talk about CNN. Well, but a I bit. wonder if if the whole industry had decided. Maybe this is sort of against progress. If the whole industry, a couple, you know, five, seven years ago, instead of chasing this, the, what might have turned out to be a fever dream that is Netflix, decided, you know, we're going to try to protect the bundle, or we're going to really sort of that focus on the bundle. It might have. Would it have been a different story, or do you think that that was that sort of a Backwards thinking, meaning, you know, toothpaste was out of the tube. It was always going to go directionally in this way. I'm, why is our people, I mean, two and a half million added versus losing 200,000. I mean, that's like not even in the same. I mean, what is the standard of deviation on that guess? It, oh, you're talking really, about War, Warner Media no, adding uh, two and a half million versus yeah, Netflix. But, or but the, there was the just so much more market. The expectation that, that, right. that, that Netflix was going to add that. And Reed Hastings, I've never seen him with, I don't know, and I, you know, CEOs are people too. They can't always put on a happy face, but that was a quick 180 degrees from being, I don't know, was it cocksure? Was it overly uh, confident to the point where, no, we don't have any competition. No, we don't worry about password sharing. No, we'll never do an ad. So that would never happen here. And it was, it was, I got, it was kind of sad for me to watch that. Uh, he was a, like, a, like a different guy. I thought Rich Greenfield was like a different guy, too. Rich uh, seemed like he, you know, like it, that was a shocker for a lot of people, was it not? Right. Well, it must have been. I think it was a shocker can, for them. If you can lose 35% after you're already down a lot on a company that size, you don't see 50 billion market cap losses. That's, that's, right. that's rare. Even even in today, except in Bitcoin. No, no, no. CNN's big bet on streaming, CNN Plus, will shut down on April 30th. That's just weeks after its launch. A lot to talk about in terms of what went wrong. I want to bring in Axios media reporter Sarah Fisher this morning. She's out with a new piece uh, just out called Inside the Chaotic Collapse of CNN Plus. And with us also is Joanna Stern, Wall Street Journal senior personal technology columnist and a CNBC contributor. Good morning to both of you. Sarah, take us inside. What happened here? 
Yeah, so pretty much CNN executives have been working on this for about two years leading up to the discovery merger. After the merger happens, Warner Media CEO Jason Keillor comes in. There's a little bit of friction between him and Jeff Zucker, but ultimately, as you know, he is going to exit the company. Where there became tension was leading up to the close of the merger this year, Discovery didn't have full visibility into the business plan and what was happening at CNN+. Then they started to send signals, at least they thought publicly, that they were kind of unsure about this whole asset. There was an interview on February 4th on uh, CNBC's Squawk Box where David Zaslav sort of indicates, I haven't seen a business plan. I don't really know what's going on. I haven't gotten a business review on what CNN Plus is going to be and, and how it's going to be offered. Um, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, and I think it, directionally, it's absolutely what we need to do. The objective is that CNN would be seen everywhere in the world on every device and people will get up in the morning and they'll turn to us for what's going on in their country and what's going on around the world. That's powerful. That's differentiating versus a Netflix or a Disney. There seems to be some sort of misaligned communication, but also incentives. Instead of stopping the brakes on the service before the merger, CNN and Warner Media executives decide to continue moving forward. Then after the merger closed, discovery was very quick. They wanted to be very decisive um, about shutting this thing down. Sources told me that in the days following the merger, that's when they started to take pretty decisive actions. CNN's new president or head, C uh, Chris Licht, who's supposed to start May 2nd, has been in daily meetings with J.B. Perret at Discovery about what to do. Ultimately, as Axios reported earlier this week, they laid off CNN's CFO, they cut marketing spend, the writing was on the wall, but ultimately, these two companies just had a very different take on what this asset should be and honestly, whether or not it would even work long term. Joanna, when you, uh, when you decide something not, isn't going to work, it, it's usually better to, to end it early than, uh, than to keep going. You know, I think there was a view, oh, look at all these sunk, sunk costs. Why don't they just keep, keep try it for a little bit longer? But if you know it's not going to work or you really think it's not going to work, it's usually better, better to get the distraction over with. What I'd ask you, though, is this, this question about streaming in the context of this entire week. We've, we've seen all these questions now about Netflix CNN Plus. Do, do you put those things together in any way? Yeah, well, I, I feel like I should just come on the show and ask Sarah questions. So she's got lots of answers. Um, two thoughts, though. I think one that Sarah brought up uh, is that there was confusion inside the company. I think there was customer and user confusion. I mean, I've heard from people saying, I subscribed, but I thought I was getting linear CNN, right? I thought I was getting CNN and they weren't getting that. So I think there was some customer confusion as well. And that goes to your question to me, Andrew, which is, okay, does this lump in with the Netflix news of earlier this week and everything else we've been hearing about in streaming? And I think it does in the sense that consumers are not going to pay for 100 streaming services. It just doesn't make sense. We have to budget. We have to look at how much time we have. So it's uh, looking budgeting at both time and money. We cannot pay for an exorbitant amount of streaming services. And CNN, I, a lot of their content here seemed really good, uh, really strong video journalism, but people have to ask themselves, am I paying for this? And am I going to spend my time watching this versus another news outlet? Or yes, Bridgerton or whatever else they're going to want to watch at night. Hey, Sarah, just go back to the sort of the internal politics of this, because there is a view uh, that, that the folks at AT&T or, or former Warner Media 
effectively, and CNN Plus, tried to jam this through, that if they could somehow just get this thing launched, even though they knew that their, their new, their, their new uh, owners wouldn't like it, if they could launch it and maybe have very quick success that, that they wouldn't shut it down? Is that what you think was happening here? Yeah, I think that was part of it. I also think there was this move or effort to stake a claim over CNN's future post-merger. There was a fear that if they didn't launch this, then the future of CNN's digital strategy would belong to Discovery and not the folks at CNN. There was also this weird question of what do you do about the 700 people you hired? If you hire them to create all this content, to create a service, and it never even launches, it's a massive morale problem internally anytime they try to do something moving forward. So I definitely agree with you that there was some politics involved. And then there was also just some concerns about how does this look politically with employees? Hey, uh, Sarah, Sarah, we, Sarah, we also, in that interview you mentioned uh, with David Zaslav, I, I remember, I think we were out in Pebble, but I also asked uh, David Zaslav about I don't know if it's the elephant in the room, but it might be the man behind the curtain, and that is John Malone. And, and we've heard these little rumblings about John Malone. He likes this, he does this, he wants this. Can you just comment on, on what you think this means for the network, CNN? Yes. And, and if David, and I know him, and we let, we've known him for 35 years, because he used to, uh, you know, he's, he's one of the founders of CNBC. He's very decisive, and... I don't know if I'd be feeling too comfortable at the network right now because I think anything is possible watching how quickly this happened. Or do you think David's aware of that and he's going to say, look, the, the rest of you are fine. Uh, I love CNN. It's a great asset and you don't, you don't need to worry. Or are, are big changes coming there too? They're coming. I mean, there's $3 billion in synergies that they need to come up with. And so you can expect cuts across the board at Warner Media. I think in the near term, it's actually going to be on the back end. So sales and marketing, et cetera. I don't think he's going to go in and try to tear the newsroom apart. But to your point about John Malone, you know, he hasn't been shy about saying he wants CNN to kind of come back to its center, its core. Under the Zucker CNN, it had sort of shifted to this facts first, sort of anti-Trump positioning that I think that the new discovery, Warner Brothers discovery leadership wants to pull it away from. And the way how that's going to change CNN, you know, that I've reported that the 9 p.m. spot that's open that was occupied by Chris Cuomo, don't expect that to be personality programming. I think that's going to be a newscast. I think you're going to see other sort of in the middle efforts on the linear TV program, because that's what Malone and that's what Zaslav are prioritizing. Sources have told me, Joe, that the new Warner Brothers Discovery leadership, they are willing to actually lose money. CNN makes like a billion dollars in profit a year. They're willing to lose ad revenue on linear TV if that if they have to lose ratings just to bring it back to center. And so there will be some newsroom shakeups. I don't expect that to come in the near future. I think in the near future, you're just going to see a lot of layoffs on the back end. Again, sales, marketing, et cetera. Sarah, obviously there were a lot of high profile hires, Chris Wallace being among them, Casey Hunt and others. You, you hear now speculation that they will find a place perhaps on the linear channel, or do you think some of that programming migrates over to HBO Max? How do you think that breaks down? Some folks might find a home in linear. I'm hearing Chris Wallace is having conversations about moving over to CNN's linear TV. Other people may not. I think there's some conversations right now about two places where this programming is going to go. One is it's going to go to CNN's free ad-supported app. 
And that actually helps them because most people download that CNN app on their phone. They don't download it on their smart TV and watch long form video. If you put a little video there, it allows Discovery to start selling some sort of addressable advanced TV ads against it. So that'll be one place it goes. Some of the other shows will probably be tacked on the HBO Max. And the goal here, Andrew, is to make sure that all of that talent they brought in. Remember, yes, it's Casey Hunt and Chris Wallace. It's also Eva Longoria and Scott Galloway and Allison Roman and some of those big names. The goal is to preserve as much of this as they possibly can. They don't want to axe all of the programming. But I do think some of the shows that haven't launched those are going to also be reconsidered. Remember, Audie Cornish's show hasn't launched. There's still a bunch of programming that they need to get off the ground. Hey, Joanna, we got to go. But just in 20 seconds, do other news outlets that were, by the way, looking at CNN Plus thinking, oh, my goodness, maybe we need to compete with that. Do they also take their foot off the brake or foot off the gas, rather? I I, I think they put their foot on the brake. I think the brake is is the one to hit right now. Just seeing where some of these streaming launches have gone bad. And uh, you, know, you look at Quibi, they had a news effort there too. They certainly had a similar type of play in the sense of let's give some people something new. You hit the brake. You, yeah, you slam it, I think. The brake is on. Sarah and Joanna, thank you. We got to get to a break. Appreciate it very, very much. This episode is brought to you by AARP. 10 years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs. And the small dogs, who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. That's the podcast for today. Thank you for listening today and all week. As always, Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here on Monday. Have a great weekend. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.